I'm Randy. This is the Leave the Bottle podcast. LeaveTheBottlePodcast.com on the web, or you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And I'm James Bareford, and we have a special guest today, Giselle Manelli, who is an old pal of mine from social media, and uh, happy to have you today. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. Welcome, Giselle. I just wanted to just touch a little bit first um, how I met Giselle a couple of years ago, as I used to, on uh, social media, post these pretty provocative uh, political threads. And it was a testosterone-fueled rage sometimes, and sometimes it was, you know, calm, measured discussions. But more often than not, it was it got pretty heated. But it was it was boiling pretty much. And then this one <laughs> was it not? And and then suddenly Giselle started poking in, and before we knew it, we had like this really cool, really reasoned, really uh, intelligent woman making her way through this whole minefield of men and, you know, how men can be when we're all together. And so I just wanted, that's how we met and uh, how I came to really respect Giselle a lot. And so I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I'm really happy she's here today. Oh, well, that's very sweet. Thank you. I am too. Is that an accurate description of how it was in those early political threads? Yeah, I, I, I think that's very accurate. I, you know, I always sort of wondered, well, this, the thing about social media is that you, you get onto these conversations and you don't know because you, you don't have people's faces in there. You can't tell if anybody's rolling their eyebrows or rolling their eyes at you. And I always thought a little bit that that might be what was going on. I was aware that it was manland, boyland, as you called it. Um, and I always thought, oh, my, I am sticking my nose in this and I will get kicked off this thread. Couldn't really do that, I suppose. I wasn't really paying attention to being blocked. But I thought, hey, I work with men. This is all my life. Um, what's the harm? And it, But, you know, from the very beginning, I think I told you this a long time ago, I, people were always very respectful. And uh, I always felt very welcomed. I was very aware, aware that it was sort of like a football game. You could get tackled at any moment. Um, but but it, it never scared me away. I, I, I work with men, and so I thought, well, this is this, is this game. Well, one of, one of the things that I found interesting is because there was a different level of respect shown towards you than really? I noticed. Yes, absolutely, than I saw towards other people. And, I mean, there was occasionally other women in the thread. It's not like you were the only one, but quite often you were one of only a couple, and you were the only one who who it seemed like held firm to staying within the discussion and wouldn't back down uh, from it. <laughs> no, and, I don't uh, have that reputation, do I? <laughs> no, you don't. But it, it's interesting that how some people in life can, I don't know if it's a matter of because of respect or just some people have a persona. I don't have that. I mean, people challenge me frequently and quite frankly, they can be right a lot of the times. Um, but I did. I have noticed, like, because we know that, especially in political threads, it just gets cutthroat, and it just gets horrible sometimes. I mean, it can be a lot of fun, but it can be really horrible. And I've often wondered, if, like, for a woman delving into that, like I said earlier, that whole testosterone see how it is when you're one of the few. 
you know, it, it it's a it's a good question. I, I would say you say, well, maybe it's a person. Is it a persona? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I certainly have had the benefit of a long professional life working in big organizations, well-known organizations with some pretty high-powered people. Uh, certainly when I was in my early 20s, I didn't have the ability to be so maybe what you would call reasoned. You know, you just say what's on your mind because that's what you do coming straight out of college, right? Particularly in the college that I went to, which was um, a school where we studied the great books and everybody was sitting around a conference table talking. Um, so I was used to that. But then, of course, you go, you get into a professional environment and um, you don't know the personalities and they're not necessarily uh, willing to listen to what you have to say so readily and and you learn over uh, a period of time how to because you, it, what's the point of, of, of uh, in shutting somebody up or what's the point of uh, getting into a fight what you really really want is a, is a conversation and you can't do that if you don't learn how to be reasoned. Obviously, Jamie, you know it doesn't always work. And that there are going to be people, you're going to say something and they're just going to make a decision about you. And they're going to disagree with you and you can't, shove, you can't change that. You can't shift it. But I like, I like the conversation. And I like meeting different personalities. And I like the, uh, you, do you want to call it a challenge? I don't know, of, of developing relationships with different people. And you can't do that if you're not, if you get out of the game. It's, it's a different landscape now with the internet and with um, but chat rooms in the 90s. Now it's, you know, more instant messaging and or Google Hangouts and things like that. So, but it's still a challenge because even though like we can see each other right now, if we want, we're we're actually doing this as a video hangout um, and using the audio portion from it. But still, people can put behind whatever personas they want to put behind themselves behind. There's good and there's bad on that. I mean, I think we've all seen like Randy. You've been a, you're a veteran of of doing these things and podcasts and so forth. It's easier to hang behind a certain veil that you can't in real life when you're around people. And um, so I think the navigation is, while it's really great, the tools that we have right now, I mean, we have you know, two of us in the United States and Randy's in, in France right now. So those tools are really great. But, you know, there, there are the darker sides to it as well. Uh, what's your take, Randy? Well, first of all, um, concerning women in general online, I really hate the fact that women um, have a problem in that they're often attacked in the most stupid ways. I don't want to get into this a lot, but I just wanted to say that I really regret that because... I, I bet this is true of you too, Jim. For some reason, I'm very attracted to women in a friend kind of, of like talking online and stuff. I've been married for 35 years, folks. That's a long time to be married to the same person in both our first marriages. How great. So, yeah. I mean, we're... It's great. So when I go and tell her, ah, oh, that's just one of my fatal attraction chicks that I'm talking to, <laughs> you know, I mean, it works. This works for us. She gets it. Yeah, she gets it. And she knows, you know, there's absolutely no question. But the point is, uh, I, I talk to a few women and there's a total inequality because you're always fair game in a way that's extremely um, obnoxious. Plus, you've got the noise that comes in. And noise can be ignored, sure. You can click it as spam. And and to some extent, you know, men get that too. But I got to tell you, I don't get half as many. As soon as somebody posts a photo of themselves, for example, 
And and then some men say, well, don't fo- don't post cute photos of yourself. Well, you know that's not an answer. And I, I just I hate the idea that women don't have that particular quality of expression. That the, the voice you know isn't isn't strong, uh, except in women like you, Janelle, which is which is one of the reasons I think you have the success you do. Well, uh, you know, I um, I don't want to make too much of this. I just am thinking about this as you were talking, but I, I have a, you know, I have training as an actor. Um, and as a result of that, I think I, I literally have a, an interest in and a passion for uh, characters and people and narratives and voices. And so it helps me get beyond the immediate emotion that I'm being confronted with. I mean, not always. I'm not always successful at it. As you say, some people, it doesn't happen to me often. When it does happen, it's pretty memorable, and it's sort of, um, you know, your eyes open a little bit wider. Um, But in general, I I, I look at it as a play with an enormous cast, and everybody has a different personality, and uh, it, I really do think of it, I mean, I, I do think of it as uh, every single person has their own narrative and they're drawn in a certain way in this dramatist person A. If you can see that, then it's easy to get, because if you were on stage with them or in a movie with them, you couldn't just walk out the door. I suppose you really could in certain scenes, but I think you know what I'm saying. And I, I think that interest keeps me keeps me in it. But I, I hear what you're saying, uh, Randy and I. To tell you the truth, I think that aggression is is something that we see just in life. It's it's a way it, it, it's a way of getting a woman to be quiet, to shut up. If you come at her with a certain amount of aggression, the reaction is to be quiet. And and I think that goes on. And it goes on in life. And you know, we're reading a lot about it right now in the newspapers. It's you know Sheryl Sandberg starting this bossy pants thing to banish the word bossy on the schoolyard. Because it's that, you know, if a woman speaks up, she's bossy. If she's got a shrill voice, she's, it's that cultural accusation. And I think it's what you're talking about. It's everywhere. Interesting. Uh, It's, you know, the noise comes in uh, mostly on posts that are extremely, totally innocuous, not in the political ones. Political ones are already mean and polarized, and it doesn't matter whether you're male (laughs) or female. You know, it really yeah. doesn't. And I've seen, by the way, political, the next one is, you know, Apple versus PC or Android versus iOS. Those things are it's just so childish, I can't believe it. I mean, you, it's, well, everybody has the right to beliefs, but when people get mean, when they go, yeah, well, I suppose you, blah, 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 that stuff is just so out, it's so off, you know. It's just, it's not I, I don't have those posts. I think it's because no, no, I, you don't, don't, I, don't, I don't post that We well, don't talk about actually. that. That's actually what I meant, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I don't post that often, but I do. Every time I post something that's political, I mean, Jamie knows this. I, mm-hmm. I, I post a lot of, it's funny, it, it vacillates between cultural things uh, in which I have a lifelong interest in political things, because I'm not so sure there's really any difference, to be honest with you. But um, I, I, when I post something political, I do take a deep breath, and I say, oh, okay, do you want to do this? Are you ready to do this? I always push the button, because I don't like that little hesitation that makes me ask myself whether I should be afraid to post something, and that makes me post it. Absolutely, I I agree. It's it, once it's out there, it's out there, and and I think that um, after a while, people, if you're following certain people and you know where they're coming from, after a while, politically, uh, and sometimes people are not going to agree with you, but I think that's the way it's supposed to be. 
and I'm not talking about people being jerks and you know and name calling back and forth, but real reasoned discussion on this is what I believe. You're telling me this is what you believe. Without that dialogue back and forth, it, it, it all becomes pointless. Like a lot of times, I don't care if it's the left, right, or the center. It's like-minded hanging with like-minded talking about like-minded. And after a while, it just gets to be maddening. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, Hillary 2016 or Rand Paul 2016. And, <laughs> and, and nothing that I say to you is going to change how you feel. Nothing you say to me, depending on the subject, is going to change how I feel. But so we'll just we'll just denigrate down to nothing but name calling and hostility and nastiness, and we see a lot of that. But we also see a lot of that in the in the whole gender thing. And it's interesting the the whole bossy concept because you know we've seen such a cultural shift over the last forty or fifty years, not just in America but around the world, and we still have a very long ways to go. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, I look at, like, my niece and my nephew right now who are, like, 10 and 13, and they still have so far ahead of them for their lives and, and how much they're going to see. And I wonder how much further can we take what we've learned so far to get them to understand that things like being bossy or, or men getting in women's faces physically, you know, a couple of inches away from their face without even having to say anything as a means of shutting them down, how we get that behavior, if we can even get that behavior, out of the environment. I, I don't know if we you can. Know, um, I was blessed for many years in, in New York um, to work with a a man who was, a, a, I guess, the title of his profession, he's a life coach, but he was he became one really in the infancy of that profession. He's a former Marine, interesting, and actor, interesting, very, very educated, extremely intelligent, articulate, uh, kind man. And he uh, told me one day in a conversation when we were talking just about this issue of what do you do when you are in a professional circumstance? Because it's easier in your personal life, right? You can just censor out the people that give you trouble. Um, but in a professional circumstance, what do you do when and when when people come at you like that if you're a woman? And his, this was a man who was telling me this, and he said, I think you should raise your hand if anyone ever call, calls you the B word. Uh, or calls you difficult, or or aggressive, or pushy, or bossy, and say, I absolutely am, you are so right, and I am proud of it, and I work on it, and I practice it, and I'm polishing it off just for you. And <laughs> it was an eye-opener, Jamie. It was an eye-opener, because I realized at that moment, you know, the there are enormous numbers of men who don't feel that way about women, who don't think that they're bossy, who don't who don't do that thing, and so if they do do that thing, it's there has to have been some training there in their background, but we don't meet many of them, um, unless you're in certain circumstances that perhaps you're just fortunate. Can I make a suggestion here? Not a suggestion, but sure. a suggestion for a word for vocabulary. Um, I'm not familiar with this bossy thing. I know it's become a thing now. Um, but that's I, because you're I, in France. Well, I was going to say first of all uh, because I was bo uh, grew up with five boys instead of uh, no sisters. Um, oh, interesting. So I, I've never seen girls grow up. I've never had one, a daughter, or anything. So I don't know about that that paradigm. But um, the word I was going to suggest is assertive. 
And yes. when I met my wife, she was not assertive to the point where I thought she actually needed help. I'm not saying we sat down and had sessions or anything, but she's mm-hmm. come a long way and she's, she's, that's, that's happened. Even though she was assertive in certain things because she grew up as sort of the head of the family. But my point is that if I think back to women I've met where uh, worst case male chauvinist pig would be thinking, you know, that's, she's a little butch, masculine and so on. But in fact, mm-hmm. it's just a question of being assertive. And I know a woman who was a very high executive in a very big name national, uh, international, uh, multinational. And um, she is someone who, when you talk to her, you can tell that she's very assertive and she's used to getting her way. I mean, she, she's, I was say she's on top of uh, thousands of men, but the fact is, you know, she's the, she is the boss. Uh, and she's yeah. a boss of a huge segment. So being, she wouldn't be, she couldn't be uh, accused of being bossy, first of all. But I mean, you could not do that job without being assertive. So I'm relatively sure that people don't go around going, boy, she's awfully bossy. Anyway, uh, I, I, would very, I disagree with you. Scale, I, I just want to say anyway. I disagree. Got, uh, hold on a second. So the, I'm okay. just saying the di- assertion scale, assertivity, whatever that would be, is a scale I would say not, it's, it's a little more accurate to say someone is either is or is not assertive and then how discreet they are. Not discreet, how... Uh, um, Demure? You, no, no, no. Discre- <laughs> uh, um, I'm, you know, how they measure that. Because you can't always be assertive. And I'll tell you a story someday about what happened to me yesterday. I think you have to... I think a, a woman has to not care. I mean, it is interesting that Bruce Springsteen is called the boss. And it yeah. is uh, it, it is meant with we, its reverence and respect for a lot of things. Like a boss. Um, yeah. And uh, what is it? Isn't bossy? The bossy is the name of a cow, right? Yes. It's the name of the cow. So yes. that's interesting, isn't it? But I, you know, I do believe that you have to not care. And um, what I think there's something really wonderful that comes out of not caring. Um, and I think that getting to that point is uh, a big part of a woman growing up and becoming who she is. Because, I mean, I, I tend to think of everything artistically. Forgive me, that's just who I am. But I can't imagine any great painter, Picasso, doesn't matter who it is, Matisse, being uh, demure or insecure about their opinion or their point of view. And the same thing, can you imagine Cormac McCarthy? When, we, when I think about him as a writer, uh, I, I, not for two seconds do I think that this is a man who is not assertive. Who There's something inherently bossy about being articulate, about being um, artistic, about having any kind of a point of view. So... I think that, you know, as somebody who spent, I've spent my 23-something years in, the, in fine art, and there's a lot of conversation about why there are so few painters, so few female sculptors, the same with, you know, writing and everything else. And it's because that strength of point of view, you have to have it. But it's cultural practice. You know, men have been practicing that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and women have not, um, really, because they've been at home. So I don't know that it's a natural thing not to be that way. I think that it needs to be, as Jamie, you were suggesting a minute ago, how do, we, how do you train young people to, to go that direction? I think it's well, an educational issue. Well, I have to say that I do disagree with, uh, Randy, what you were saying earlier about men and the bossy thing. I think, well, I don't know how it is in France, but in America, it's still a huge issue. Men men 
frequently still chafe at the very idea of reporting to a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the workplace. They frequently use terminology that they would never use. Say, if I, for instance, if I was their boss, they use the terminology, including bitch and bossy and much, much worse, that they would, they would use that towards Giselle. They would not maybe not to her face, but behind her back in the break room, whatever. They would never use that terminology about me, and that's still a huge problem. I've been in in my work life. I've worked in environments where it has been greatly dominated by women. As a matter of fact, right now in my uh, in my office, there's thirty something of us in in our uh, division, and there's two of us men. That's it. My boss is a woman. She's, you know, fantastic. Uh, but I work with all, you know, women. I mean, I work with men in other areas of it. But, uh, but I've worked for years where men have been my boss, where women have been my boss, and I've heard my coworkers for many, many years be very in, in other jobs, not now, but I mean, like in the past, you know, uh, when I was in restaurants, working in the restaurant field and so forth, and very, very derogatory comments about, say, if a, a woman was the manager of the restaurant or the bar manager or whatever, comments that you never would hear if it was a man. Um, and and I, st- I just believe that we have still have a long, long ways to go. Because let's be honest, women have not been in the work field in a big way for that not that long. I mean, if you're looking at the span of America just alone, women really only since the 60s, you know, kind of, the 50s, it started in the 40s, but the real Donna Reed apron strings started coming untied in the early 60s, the era of my mom. My mom had to work three and four jobs. She was one of the early women doing all of that, uh, but she was also a secretary and a waitress and things like that. There was no way she was going to be in a position of any authority. But I, I think that we still have a real issue with a, with women being in authority in general by men, and fr- frankly, sometimes by other women as well. You know, I, I as the years go by, I, I used to think of it as a gender issue. This is either female personality trait or male personality trait or cultural personality traits. I now think of it as as economics. I remember back when I first moved to New York. And uh, I was a very young director, uh, the director of customer merchandising for CBS Records in New York when it was pre-Sony years. And um, I was given the job, hired the hired to do the job that a man had done before for forever, as long as that job had existed. And I was told an, in no uncertain terms that I had taken a man's job. I was stunned because I didn't think I don't think of jobs as having a gender. You know, I never understood in in you know doctors doctors not doctor or doctoressa, or it's not you know poet or poetess. There is actor and actress, but mostly mostly actors. I think of, think of themselves as actors. So there isn't a gender that I ascribe. It's not writer and writeress. So I didn't. Think think that I had all of a sudden become a directoress and I, it was a it was an eye-opening thing to me this concept that a job had a gender and that it should only have been done for by a man as the years have gone by particularly Jamie and Randy since this terrible financial crisis that this country has been in since 2008 
I think it has a lot to do with competing for economics. I think it has a lot to do with the, the sense that there's a finite amount of work available, a finite amount of jobs, and a man, the definition for such a long time of how a man functions within a culture, family, work, is, is to, to be employed. And so many of them are unemployed. And a lot is being written now about how many women are going into the workforce. I don't think it's quite 50-50, is it? I don't think so. But we do know that there are more women in graduate school getting their graduate degrees than men. And I think... I, I, do, I do think it's a matter of, no, but wait a minute, this is our territory rather than we don't like girls or we don't like women. I don't think it's that. I think it's a fear of not being able to economically and financially survive. Well, there's a lot of fear out there, and I think it takes that form absolutely um, because there is that whole, you know, I'm not a real man if I don't, if I'm not going out with my lunch pail every day, you know, to the work site or to catch the uh, the 517 train into the city or something, there must be something wrong with you. Frankly, it, this is funny. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had to I had uh, to be off from work, and I had uh, for it was in the middle of the week when I would normally be working, and I stopped into a grocery store to pick something up, and it was in the middle of the day, and I actually felt weird. Like that people were looking at me because I was the only, and I'm not young, but I was like the youngest person in there other than women that had kids in strollers or something. And I kind of felt like, it, this is stupid, but I kind of felt like they were looking at me like it's the middle of the day during the week. You know, what, what, are you you know, a bum or something? Why aren't you at work right now? That's silly, I know, but there's still that expectation that you know men bring home the bacon. I don't care how culturally attuned you are to how things are nowadays there's still that expectation out there and i think that that's where that what you're talking about really comes into play there's there's so much insecurity and i mean it, t- it delves into many forms immigration who's going to take my job as if you know as if you know picking fruit and vegetables in the fields is something you know that most americans want to do anyways right um but fear and insecurity and worrying about how you're going to put food on the table and, you know, if you're going to be the one doing it or if it's going to be your wife instead. I mean, frankly, my wife makes more than me, and but I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm not sitting around saying, you oh. Grew up with a, you grew up with your mother who went to work. So exactly. you have some training there. Exactly. I, you know, listening to you talk about this, I, I think about this often anyway, how narrowly I think we have – we have come to define men and women and um you know you we see that in this current brouhaha over sat scores i don't know if you're following that randy in 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 france but you know they're redoing it and i've watched this for years when we were kids when i was growing up you did everything i mean you went to physical education pe and you took a painting class and you did you were encouraged to learn a lot of different things it wasn't no when you're 12 years old decide the one thing that you want to be in your life and be that but we did do that in education over the last 40 or something years and in fact we tell children very very young choose what you want to be and be that and now the problem is that people are so specialized that when there is some sort of a crisis 
it's hard to break out of that. So we've gotten ourselves in this situation where we've very narrowly defined men as breadwinners and very narrowly defined women. And we're hurting one another because men are complicated creatures, I think, who need a lot of stimulus and uh, feedback. And no, they do. I mean, you know, I, I most of the men that I know, my, my husband is a perfect example of this. He's a surgeon, but he's also a writer. He he loves sports. It's He's, he's not just one-dimensional. But you know what I'm saying? I... Um was raising my hand because I wanted to say that one of the problems, we don't want to get into a list of the problems with education, the men and women who teach, for the most part, are dedicated professionals, underpaid, and so on, so I would never denigrate what they do. However, the entire education system, first of all in the United States, but probably everywhere, is is pretty sucky in general, but my mm-hmm. biggest complaint would be, and this speaks to exactly what we're talking about here, my biggest complaint would be why don't men know how to cook when they get out of high school, for example? Not because they should go to McDonald's and flip burgers, but because when you get out there in the world, first of all, if you were taught as a man, if we'd cut these barriers down and the man, men learned all this stuff, I, mean, I know how to sew. You know, I don't ask my wife to sew a button on, ever. I don't even know she knows how. Uh, the point is, these are skills that are really important. They're way more important than geometry, frankly, to the average person. Uh, and they should be taught. And why don't women, why can't women go in to take wood shop? I'm sure they could even when I was a kid, but I didn't have anybody in there. And certainly nobody in electronics. There wasn't one female in electronics. That's why nope, it took me forever to, uh, <laughs> we won't go there either. We didn't mix with women when I, was, when I was a teenager, unfortunately, not in school. Anyway, really would have been great if men learn how to cook, because for one thing, these roles would tumble a little bit, at least they'd be, they'd be a little bit dissolved, and then it wouldn't be this big stigma of, of staying home. You don't have to put on an apron, whether you're a man or a woman, unless, unless you're wearing clothes. You haven't seen any of mine. I got aprons. If you don't want to dirty your clothes. I mean, that's, see, that's a perfect example that, that you would never see a man uh, in, in, well, it wouldn't be a frilly apron. I guess you do see men in aprons on cooking shows on TV, huh? Men are chefs. Women who cook at home are right. cooks, yes. and men and chefs make a living as a profession, and mm. women do it for free. And this is a big conversation in my house. Um, you can ask my stepson. <laughs> I love to cook. I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things. I've I learned to cook when I was a little girl. My my father died. My father was the cook in our family. He cooked for my mother, and uh, when she had to go to work after my dad died, I learned to cook. I was very young, eight. And I was putting, you know, dinner parties on by the time I was 10 or 11 years old for my mother's friends. I've done it all my life. But I've seen the benefit of it, Randy. I, I, I see what happens when you cook dinner for people and sit them down at a table, this magical thing, conversation and getting to know somebody. I is it nurturing people? Yes. Is it always a gourmet meal? No. But there's another purpose to sitting down and eating dinner um, other than just, you know, uh, making sure that you're not hungry 15 minutes later. And that I also think is a cultural shift. You know, my father came from a different uh, background where he under they understood that dinner was a time to connect at night. And then, as Jamie pointed out, women went to work and microwaves were invented and it was fast food and there was no time and you eat standing up and the kids come running in from playing ball and they got to get back out, you know. So it the whole ritual of what that is about got uh, un- 
diminished mm. and and I think yes there's a separation men men will not do something right I hate to say this it's a I know that I'm making a generalization and it isn't true of all men but I do think in general that women are very prone to learning how to do things at which they will never make a living never make a dime but a man won't say to himself I'm going to go to cooking school and I'm going to really learn how to do this if it's not going to be a profession um that's interesting. I like that. I wonder, here's a question that maybe we could look up later. I wonder how many, you know how adults go to school, like you have students that are like 55 years old, maybe maybe retired even, and they, go, yeah, I think it's they, great. And they get a university degree. I wonder if more women do that than men. That'd be an interesting thing to find out. I absolutely think so. As somebody who has gone to college off and on again in my adult life, it's overwhelmingly women. Uh, women. As a matter of fact, my mom uh, got her bachelor's at 59 years old. That's incredible. Uh, wow. It really is. It was. It really is because she uh, she was gonna be go. She was going to art school, uh, and then at 17, oops, I came along, and uh, <laughs> and you know her plan, plans had to radically change. You know, in, in 1962, you didn't do both as a woman it very 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 rarely so her life plans had to change radically in an instant and uh so after many years she started taking some classes and then uh got her associates and then continued to take some classes so if, and then finally at 59 years old you know she graduated from a university down in uh florida and I was I was so proud that day watching you know my mom walk across the stage, you know, and I was like all blubbery and stuff. It was just so <laughs> magical. Seriously, I'm, I'm talk, a baby. Anyway, talk about role reversal. Yeah, yeah, it was really it was really cool. And so now she actually uh, she teaches classes to adults uh, sometimes in in class and sometimes online. And I would, you know, from the way she's talked, it sounds like it's more women than men. I think men, for the most part, they make their decisions earlier in life, what they're going to be when they grow up, and they follow those decisions more, or they did anyways. Because also, let's face it, college was much more of a male-oriented environment, you know, for many, many years, you know, because women, you know, got out of high school, they got married, you know, they stayed home to have the kids, so the men went to school, yeah, and that's also why they all talk about, well, why aren't, why aren't women good at math and science? Well, you didn't give them the tools to begin with early on. You pushed them into home economics and, you know, shorthand and typing classes and things like that, all of which have validity to them, but it didn't give them the tools that they needed coming out to compete with men at university and then after that. And we're still playing catch-up, and we still have a long catch-up to go. I uh, did either of you. I don't know if you read the Times um, on a regular basis, but it's it is my hometown paper, and there was a terrific article a few weeks ago about the older brain being the f- being the fuller brain and the and the better brain. When I when I saw this headline, I wish I could remember exactly what it was titled, but I can't. Um, I thought, oh dear, they're going to say something about people getting older and their brains falling apart because, of course, that's what we hear culturally, right? You, you, you know, there's mandatory retirement age, and you know, you're not as quick on your feet and your knees are hurting and all of that stuff. And to my great surprise and pleasure, the article was not at all about that. It talked about how. Um, 
the difference is that there's a life of experience and memories and information in the older brain, and it therefore has to sit. Randy, you might appreciate this just sort of from a technological point of view. It's like going through a filing system. There are more papers in the file. It doesn't mean that the file, anything is wrong with the file cabinet. There's just more information in it. So you have to sift through it to pull it out, which is the wait time in remembering things. But that, in fact, there's more wisdom in it. And, in fact, there's an ability to um, learn in a different way. You're, you're appreciating more what you're doing. It's, you're more focused. And I, I find this myself. I find this myself. I wish many times I could go back, go to St. John's all over again and read those books from the perspective that I have now. I, I think learning something when you're older, whether it's a language or something, I, I think people should always pick doing something, learning something that they think they cannot do, that in fact they find really hard. I read a report last night about a gentleman who was what, 73 years old who just got his pilot's license. How mm. awesome is that? That's great. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I think again, that's another cultural thing about what we believe about people. You know, people are living to be a very long time, very old now. Yep. 95. And that was not something that was expected 50 or 60 years ago. And so retiring and not going back to school, Jamie, these weren't issues. Because, you, you know, as we've said, we, you, you'd pick a profession and you'd be done by the time you were 55 or 60. It wasn't, you weren't planning on living on the planet another 35 years. Well, the way life so is... All, Sorry, the way the way life is working now, though, um, we we are living longer. Even people who you know in places where the healthcare isn't the greatest, there's still longevity's gotten much much. Life expectancy has gotten much much larger, and mm. as a result, that doesn't help unemployment unless we come up with an answer for that. Um, and you know, retirement age and all of that, we we can juggle that, but that's not going to be good enough. Uh, but I think that the inspiration thing, I, I'm 100% with you on the learning. Um, and I'm learning several things right now. Uh, but I think that the learning, I'm lucky because I've got the time. Learning is a little like eating right, like eating real food, making the food instead of, you know, getting it at a junk food place or whatever. It, this is a problem of time. And it's extremely ironic and horrible that there's gross unemployment in most of the first world and nobody's got any time to do anything. Either you're looking for a job Let's not even include the horrible situation of people living on the street. I'm just talking about people who are in the rat race. They've got two jobs. Their wife or their husband is work. Everybody, you know, two jobs in the family plus two jobs per person. So, you know, where's the time to learn anything except if you're able to do that while you're working? Most people are it talking is. on their cell when they're working if they have a job that doesn't require too much. Uh, it, it's tough. It's like my what my wife and I right now, and we both, uh, you know, have pretty good jobs. I mean, good jobs. But we also live in an expensive area in, in Connecticut where it's, it's. I mean, everywhere is expensive now. Uh, but some places are much more expensive than others. And I work two jobs. You know, it's... Uh, I, last night I got out of work at five o'clock. Got home, had dinner, and went and you know, went to uh, another job. You know, and uh, my wife has, oh, actually she has three jobs right now because she's also a yoga teacher on top of it. Um, but that's you know the, what you have to do nowadays. And and time, it's the the thought of even say sitting down to learn Spanish or something right now. That's just 
I suppose I could find a little time here and there, but not much. I mean, w between you know my commute every day and, and working two jobs and and taking care of the house and doing learning. all the other things. You are learning. You're learning podcasting. Yeah. No, that, yes. that's true. I, that, I that's just, true. I was just going to say. I mean, I, I I do think that that's right, Randy. I mean, you've found something that you have a passion for and an interest in, Jamie, and you're going in that direction. Uh, I certainly don't spend my time technologically as plugged in as either of you do uh, because I'm doing other things but this um, notion it's, it's funny you know artists I think have always felt a little bit like they are living on the outside looking in um, and uh, that they're supposed to aspire to be on the inside and working in a corporate job you know having having a profession that is easily pointed pointed at as being, oh, you've arrived. But for an artist, for a creative person, your life is about, you You don't say to yourself, I will arrive at 30 or 35 or 40. You, you take it on as a long-term thing. That's who you are. I think what's happened gradually we've seen it happen in the last couple of several decades, but certainly since 2008, more and more people are having to embrace the notion of reinventing themselves, of finding new passions and, and letting go of the notion that if you are corporately employed, uh, that you are more a part of the cultural scene or the economics of a country than if you're not. I don't think that that's true anymore. I think there are significant numbers of people that are starting businesses who are part of the economic fabric of not just our country, Randy, but all over the world, and they had never thought about themselves that way, but they are now. I, I think that I think also that art uh, prepares you in a good way, and that's one of the things that parents may not realize. Uh, music education. Uh, Rob Michaels always posting about this: how music, learning music, even if you're not any good at it, is a, is a, is a huge step towards awakening people to their potential. And uh, I agree with that. I'm sorry, James, I cut you off. There. No, no, uh, it's that reinvention. Uh, I had to reinvent myself at 43. I had been uh, as a, like a restaurant manager, bartender, this, that, and the other thing for mostly that for over 25 years. Yeah, I was really good at it, really liked it. Uh, and then the place that I had been at for the better part of uh, 16 years or so, one morning I got a phone call from my mother-in-law at 5.30 in the morning. The place is on fire. And I was like, oh, my God, and turned on the news. And they were when, when the news is showing it live, you know it's bad. So, And I lived a few miles away. So I jumped in my car, and I'm driving, and I'm driving as fast as I could through these back roads to get to it. And all I kept thinking the whole way there is, what am I going to do now? What mm -hmm. am I going to do now? Mm -hmm. I'm 43 years old. I didn't have a college degree, a college classes, but not a degree. And I was like, what am I, I was, how am I going to provide for my wife? Uh, you know, I'm not of a young age anymore to go into another setting like that easily because, you know, most places that I, you know, were like that or want younger and nowadays, you know, young female bartenders, you know, with boobs hanging out and all that stuff. You could do uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, so I got there and saw that, you know, that was it. The place was engulfed and it was terrifying. It was like, what am I going to do over the next few days? It was like I was just despondent of how am I going to get by? And I had, luckily, through a network uh, of a couple of friends, 
got me uh, an interview into what I'm doing now, and uh, and I'm really happy in what I'm doing now. I enjoy it. It's you know it's challenging. Every day is different in it. And I often say to people now that this sounds terrible because the place ended up getting rebuilt and I actually worked for several years once it reopened about a year and a half later part-time for a couple of years. Um, I often say the best thing that ever happened to me was that place burning down. And the reason of that is because I had become too comfortable. I And because in that, as a bartender, it was a nice family, you know, bar, restaurant kind of thing. But was I really going to be doing that at 60, 65? I mean, I had no benefits, no health benefits, no you know vacation, nothing, no sick time, nothing. Uh, so if my back went out, I didn't get paid. Um, that's for if you're a younger person or if there's nothing else you can do, there's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't set you up for later on uh, being able to, to really continue on that. So it was really daunting for me. I, I remember for like that period of time in between the fire and getting uh, the job of being terrified. And, and, you know, I'm always apprehensive as I'm getting older. I'm 52 now. I'm always, you know, what if I, what if I got laid off? You know, what would I do? And it's it's scary. I remember, I remember uh, my uh, my old man, my adopted father. He was a, a middle level business uh, executive for uh, Amtrak, and he kept talking about retirement and all that stuff. And back then, it was fifty five. That was just you know most people. It was either fifty five or sixty two for him. It was going to be around fifty five. Well, right after he turned fifty five, he dropped dead on the golf course. He, yeah. yeah. So he he didn't get. He got nothing as far as a retirement or anything like that. Um, and now you see the retirement age has to be, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, but we can't afford to have people retiring at 55. We, can, we just can't at this point. Well, when I hear you talk about somebody dropping dead suddenly on a golf course at 55, my mind doesn't immediately go to the fact to, to wondering whether or not they have set themselves up to have a healthy retirement, I, I wonder whether they've lived their life. The, the, we, for some reason, we, we teach children to be afraid of fear. And to be on the same life coach that I mentioned to you a while back that I had always used to say people should live their lives, a part of their lives outside of their comfort zone. Otherwise, you aren't growing and you aren't learning. I'm not so sure the point of life is to be not afraid or to be secure. How can it be if you are constantly challenging yourself? If you do just one thing, train yourself to do just one thing with your life, you're setting you, we are we are all setting ourselves up to be afraid in the future because we won't be facile. We won't have the ability to shift gears. And I think, you know, listening to you, Jamie, it just fuels my, whether it's a belief or something that I'm just, questioning in general about why people don't want to keep other people out in my experience of being told that my job was a man a man's job and certainly there are many parts of my life where I feel you know women should not be are, are not allowed I and I keep thinking it's economic because if I don't have if they don't have this thing then they have nothing we're not in a culture where we teach people and encourage one another to be multifaceted, to be Renaissance men and to be Renaissance women. And I think 
Randy, you say, what are we going to do about the, the... I don't know that the job market is going to change in that way. I We've automated things. We've gotten rid of the need for human beings. Um, you know what we've also done? We've also opened about 10 subjects that could be one-hour discussions uh, in the last I 15 know. minutes. I mean, uh, what you're saying now is a huge... Well, it's a big topic everywhere. I mean, people are talking about it, and I agree. And I wanted to ask, and we don't have the time, I don't think, but I wanted to ask for some suggestions on how people can change, both in the gender, you know, specifically, I guess, gender issues. What can you do besides be your own value system, if I might say, and try to protect? What are you going to do? You're going to write blog articles? That's nice, but I don't think that's going to make the change all by itself. You're going to call your congressman? Uh, you know, what are we supposed to do? I don't know if we have any time for a single suggestion for men or women that that might help them make changes in the gender th- issues we were talking about understand well you know it's a huge psychological issue and i also think at its core randy it is a spiritual issue every time i encounter this gender conversation i think that it is it is ultimately a spiritual issue i wonder about fathers i wonder about husbands do they not want their wives to be fully expressed does a father you know the the conversation about the olympics that just passed i've forgotten the name of the young woman you know they did the ski jumping for the first time and it was her father who championed her she went to her dad when she was 10 and said this is what i want to do i want to be a ski jumper and then they found out that women weren't allowed to ski jump because men thought that it was not a profession for women and it was her father who championed that so when you say the change i think you know it's one thing to say yes for me to say be fully yourself but i also think we all need to be encouraging other people to be themselves and jamie going back to your original statements about you know the way we communicate with one another i think you know we all have an obligation to one another to put that at the forefront of our minds i'm not saying it's easy to do and i don't think a lot of people want to do it but you know lifelong education of ourselves and other people, uh, is there another way? It, because you can't legislate it. No, you can't. And the thing is, we have to allow ourselves to evolve. We can't. I've never understood when I hear somebody say, I'm the same person I was at 18, and they say that with pride. It's like when I hear sentiments like that, it's like, I feel sorry for you. If that's how you really look at yourself, you can say, I feel physically like, oh my God, I feel like I'm 25 again or something. That's great. That's wonderful. But you're supposed to take what's happened in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're supposed to put that in all together, And in my opinion, and you're supposed to think on that, and you're supposed to react based on that, and you're supposed to live your life based on all of your experiences and growing and evolving. And And I do see people who basically, it may as well still be 1980 for them, and we, we have to stop that or not stop that, but we need to progress beyond that as a society in, in whole, I think, if we want to, you know, if we want to get to where we need to get to. It starts at home. It starts with our friends. It starts with the people in our immediate social circle, um, professional circle. And I'm conscious of it. Every time I post something, I'm, I'm conscious of how I communicate with people or trying to communicate with them in an open way. Sometimes I'm more successful than others, but 
I do think, I remember David Dowd's words from years and years and years ago, you're, you're not a tree. The purpose of being a human being is to enhance your own consciousness and the consciousness of others every single day. Wow. I mean, I remember when he said that to me, I almost fell out of my chair. That is a, that is a great, great philosophy. Absolutely great philosophy. Giselle, um, you have to come back. You have to. I hope we've given I, you a taste for it. I know it's. I, I've had a wonderful time, and and maybe if I if you're not going to have me get up at three o'clock in the morning, I I won't have to hire a hair and makeup artist. No, we'll find some. We'll find to paint me up so that I can you know take the red tape off of my video. And, okay. Um, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll do the we'll do the next one at a more reasonable hour all the way around. No, no. I actually I just turned around right now and the sun is coming up. I got to come. I got to watch the sunrise with the two of you. It's it's lovely. Thank Fantastic. you very much. You know, uh, we usually do a couple of recommends to finish it up. Is there something that you're reading, you're watching, something out there that you could recommend? Reading or watching that I could or recommend. listening music. Oh, you know me. Oh yeah. Um, you know me. I just got turned on to uh, this musician named Molly Music, who I think is wonderful. There is a show. I have actually been meaning to write about this at the Whitney um, Biennial. Two young transgendered artists who are a couple. He became a she and she became a he. They are together. They are doing a show of photographs at the Whitney about relationships. I think it is fascinating. Charles Blow, Meg Tufano, uh, from the Journal for um, Social Aeronology. You know that I'm the editor-at-large of that now? She invited me to do that. She sent me a link last night to an article in today, yesterday's Times, I think Charles Blow wrote about the bossy pants thing and how we can change the way we approach our attitude toward gender and uh definition that way i'm reading a lot of things you know me it's always there's always music there's always art there's always theater there's it's it's what fuels my life at the end of the day i i always turn to artists for inspiration always beginning and end of the day there's one, one recommend right now for people especially if you have netflix streaming or the dvds it's fine and it Actually, it goes very well with what we've been talking about the entire hour about gender. It's a British series called Call the Midwife, mm. and, it's, and it's based on the memoirs of Jennifer Worth. She st- it was in the 50s in the East End of London in the Poplar section, which was a very economically depressed, down on the docks, very, very hard scrabble kind of life. And it was a convent that, had, that were midwives, and they had non-nuns working with them as well. And so it was her memoirs from the 50s to the early 60s, and the series is based on that. The first two seasons are on Netflix, uh, and they've been shown each time. Each season has been shown on PBS. Season three was just finished the other day on the BBC, so I watched it from there. But it's season three will be on PBS, I think, in the next month or two on Sunday nights. The depiction of these women, not just the nuns, but the regular lay nurses, Mm-hmm. As as midwives was phenomenal because I mean there were do- doctors were not there was one main doctor but midwives had much much power uh, as far as treatment of going to the homes day after day after day it's such a well done series and it's not all pleasant and not everything is always happy and they deal with single mothers and interracial and uh, abuse and 
It's called Call the Midwife. Call. Yeah, this is really interesting to me because my uh, I don't I don't have an internist anymore, as in an MD doctor. I use a physician's assistant in New York, and she spent most of her professional life as a midwife before she became a physician's assistant. So I'm really interested. Thank you for telling. Yeah, the book is really by Jennifer Worth. Uh, the, her memoirs are really really good reading, but the the series is fantastic. And she herself, it's not a spoiler or anything, but she herself actually. Uh, at the end of the 50s, as much as she loved being a midwife, hospice was just starting. There was a, mm. a, a woman who was just starting a hospice program in England, mm. and she decided she needed to make a course change to to go into hospice care. So, but and so, uh, like the lead actress of the show was was that character. But Vanessa Redgrave does the voiceovers, and her oh. voice is. She is wonderful. just wonderful, and Jenny A. Gutter is uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, nuns. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's it's a really interesting show to show showing women being very strong and very in control of their work environment in an era that that just wasn't really the case usually. So it's yeah. a it's a big recommend to me. Okay, okay really quick one for you, mm-hmm. Giselle. But you probably you maybe know the name Jennifer Ouellette. Yes. So, you know, she just wrote a book called Me, Myself, and Why. Me, Myself, and Why? It's about the self. It seems to be an interesting book. I have not read the book, but the reason I mention it is because my recommendation is a podcast called Inquiring Minds, with an I on the top. Inquiring Minds. She was the last guest in the last episode, and I was listening to her. The self is something we could do 20 episodes on. It's just really easy. It's your image and how you think of yourself and what's in there. And uh, is it an illusion? Is it true? And so on. But way, way too there, much. Uh, there is a, let me just sure. blurt this out really quickly. Um, there is a psychiat- psychiatrist, Buddhist named Mark Epstein, who wrote a book many, many years ago uh, called, okay, the exact title of it, um, When Things Fall Apart, his, he, he, as a psychiatrist, as an MD, his writing is very often about the whole psychology of is there a self when the Buddhists are saying there isn't a self. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that you have to know who you are in order to relate to other people. It's that interesting dance between defining yourself, your own ego, having a healthy sense of self and healthy sense of your ego, but also then having to um, make way for others which I find is a fascinating conversation in and of itself. We get back to what we were talking about is redefining that thing. Jamie's got to go. Yes, I do. I actually have to tie my hair back into a ponytail and throw on a suit and tie. (laughs) Throw in a suit and tie. Yes. Giselle, please come back. We we haven't even touched uh, what we could touch. All right. Well, you know, let me know if there's something you want to talk about and... Absolutely. Thanks again, Giselle. I have only to remind everybody to go to leavethebottlepodcast.com. You can contact us there or just write us email to talk at leavethebottlepodcast.com. See you next time.